I want to start this evening in 1 Thessalonians 2 as a lead-in to where we're going to be tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll look at verse number 19. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. Listen to Paul's statement here. It's really, truly remarkable. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Do you think about what that says about the Apostle Paul? What was the glory and the joy of his life? Other people becoming like Christ so that Christ would be glorified when he appeared. That was his glory. That was his joy. Now let me stop right there and ask you as I ask myself, could anyone say that about you? Could you say that about yourself? Your glory and your joy is sunk into other people being, not just you, others being brought into conformity to the nature of Christ for when he appears. Now, if we want to be disciple makers, if our church wants to be a disciple-making institution, that needs to be said of us. Oh, those people at Straight Gate, their glory and their joy is seeing other people become like the image of Christ. That should be a challenging question for all of us, as it's a very challenging question to me. And I start there because what I want us to see is the connection, thank you, Ben, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. Will you notice something with me here? Paul says, to the end, he, that's God, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You see the connection. On the one hand, Paul says, my glory and my joy is you in the presence of Jesus when he comes. And now he says, what is his prayer? What is his overwhelming desire for the Thessalonian people people that he had brought, helped bring to Jesus Christ. What, what is it? That your hearts would be established, unblameable in holiness when Jesus comes with his saints. Now let me, ask, let me stop and ask you for a minute. What is your prayer for other people? What is your prayer for those in this church, for those in your family, for those in your neighborhood, is your prayer over and over again. God, establish them blameless in holiness for your coming. That's a pretty good prayer for all of us to have in our pursuit of discipleship in the lives of others. But now here's where I want to stop for a moment. Notice where verse 13 begins. To the end, or for the purpose that... He may establish your hearts unblameable, blameless in holiness before God. Now I want to pause for just a moment. Maybe you've already looked at the context. You already heard my introduction this morning. But I want, you to, I want to ask you, what would you say is the predominant thing that would establish 
someone's heart blameless in holiness. If you think about your heart or about someone else's being fully fixed and founded and secure in holiness, what would cause that? To what end? To what purpose would it be that you would be fixed in holiness? Now, the reason I ask is because I suspect that if you were to go to the average Christian and you were to say, what would establish someone firmly in holiness? They might say, obedience, doing what God wants, and they certainly would have a point. Oh, well, that would require zeal. That would require discipline. That would require effort. That would require the proper interpretation of Scripture. That would require really knowing doctrine and knowing theology in order to be fixed blamelessly in holiness. All of those things have truth to them, but it's not what the Bible says. What I want to notice here is what Paul says, what Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian people is. Look at verse 12. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end, so that he may establish you blameless in holiness. What's the point? What connection is he drawing for all of us? He's saying, do you want to be established blamelessly in holiness, fixed firmly in the holiness that God has for you, you're going to have to abound, to increase and to abound in love. How often does your mind connect love and holiness? Love for other people and our fixed and firm holiness in our walk with God. I want to draw that connection tonight for us in a message I'm going to title, Established in Holiness. And I want to ask us tonight, are you being established in holiness? Are you being fixed firmly in the kind of holiness, as Hebrews 12 says, without which no one shall see God? No one will see God without this kind of holiness being formed in them. And I want to look at this in three different aspects as we just work through the idea that Paul is presenting here. And first of all, what I want to draw this connection is because I'm going to call it an outflow of divine character. What is, what is the connection between love and holiness? First, it is the outflow of of divine character. Now, I just want to point out, this is really the capstone message on our series on holiness. And there's going to be a lot that's going to be by way of review, and I hope some that's also going to be new. But I want to try to bring all the ideas that we've been talking about so far in these several messages on holiness together using this passage. First, it's an outflow of divine character. Remember what one of our central ideas so far about holiness has been. We are to be holy because we what? We are holy. Be holy because you are holy. Remember where we got this idea. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 says that we are elect, we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. So, when we became a child of God, 
God made us holy. He sanctified us by whom? The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit took up His residence in you, you became holy, sanctified in His sight. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says in verse 22. Paul encourages us to put off concerning the former conversation, the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And it's entirely true. Your old man, my nature in terms of my fleshly Adamic bent is corrupt. But notice he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Every one of you, when you became a child of God, you received a new man. If you are in Christ, as Paul says, you are a new creature, a new creation. And that new creation that is implanted in you by the Holy Spirit is created after God, after God's own nature in righteousness and true holiness. You are holy if you are in Christ. And so therefore, be holy. Now let me stop right there. Why do we say that love and holiness are connected by an outflow of divine character. Because the second point that we made, and that we've been coming back to in holiness, is that holiness is being like God. If God has planted His nature, His character in us, our holiness, our being holy in every, in every facet of our life, is reflecting His character. And here's the simple point. What is God's character? 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Why is love completely inseparable from holiness? Because if holiness is being like God, then to be holy is to love like God's nature is. You see, if I'm going to reflect the very character of God, I cannot do it separate and apart from increasing and abounding in love one toward another and toward all men. Okay? It's that simple. Holiness and love. The growth in love in this divine nature and character is the path, Paul is telling us, to being established blameless. In holiness. So first of all, we see an outflow of divine character. We must be in love if we are to walk in holiness. But secondly, I want to see that there's an obedience to a divine command. Why is it that love and holiness are centrally connected? Because of an obedience to a divine command. Let's go back to 1 Peter 1, where we just were. You remember what this verse said? We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. What is holiness? Holiness is the divine character that has been implanted within me, manifested out in obedience in every area of my life. Holiness 
is obedience to God that is born out of his divine character. Remember what 1 Peter 1 verse 14 says, as we looked at several weeks ago, as obedient children, be holy, for I am holy. As obedient children, patterning our life after our Father. Now, here's where I want to take a quick step back from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and comment on something that I've been seeing as we've been going through our reading of the Old Testament law together most recently. How many times have you worked your way through these ancient statutes and you've just scratched your head and you've said, I, I, I can't say that I understand all of these. I don't get it. They're from a very completely different historical context. I don't get it. I will tell you, as I've been going through this year, I've been seeing, I think, I hope in a fresh way, what that ancient law was intended to create or to stir, to reflect in the lives of God's Old Testament people. And it was this. It was love. I want to read you a couple verses from that Old Testament law. Listen to Exodus chapter 22, verses 21 through 24. He says, thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. What's he saying? I am calling on you to treat the stranger in a particular way because you identify with them. You used to be a stranger. You should know what it's like to be a stranger, so don't vex them, don't oppress them. What is God saying? He's saying, you stand in the shoes of a stranger. You were a stranger. And so when you identify with them, you treat them in the same way that you would have wanted to be treated when you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. That's what God was communicating. Listen to what he says in verse 22. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. God is saying, you stand in the shoes of, a, of the widow and the fatherless, and you treat them the way I would have them to be treated. Listen to Exodus chapter 23 and verse 12. The Sabbath command. God says, six days thou shalt, thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. God says, I'm not just doing this for you. I'm even doing it for your animals, that they may get a day off. What's the point? He's telling the Israelites, he's saying, I want you to care about everyone in your community. And I am giving you civil laws and statutes so that you will stand in their shoes and treat them the way you would want to be treated. There's even one that stood out to me. Did anyone, this jump out at anyone? Exodus chapter 22 and verse 2. There's a very strange verse that I didn't totally understand. Verse 2 says, If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If someone breaks into your house and he dies in the resulting struggle, God's law was there's no payment, there's no guilt for that. It's like the castle law that we have today in modern America. But listen to what he said. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him. What? Here's what God's saying. If a thief breaks into the, to an Israelite's house in the middle of the night, 
and you're struggling for your life and he dies, there's no, there's no, there is no guilt for that. But if he comes into your house in the middle of the day and you kill him, you'll pay for it. Because he's presuming that if it's, uh, he's presuming, I think, that if it's in the middle of the day, you didn't have to, you didn't have to kill him for your own self-defense. That was beyond what you needed to do. In other words, the remarkable point about the Old Testament law is God gave even thieves rights. God even recognized that someone breaking into your house had a particular right at a particular time that affected your guiltiness in your self-defense. What's the point? The point is throughout the Old Testament law, God is placing his people in the shoes of their community members and saying, you treat them the way you want to be treated. And then we go to the New Testament and Jesus brings it all together. Someone comes to him and says, what are the two great commandments? What, what, what is the great command in the law? And Jesus says, there's the two that I'm going to tell you about. First, the greatest, love the Lord thy God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we see in the New Testament this eternal principle that love is connected centrally to obedience, to fulfilling God's commands. Remember, what is holiness? Holiness is the inner, the inner work of God in you. Your, you are holy. And the obedience of your life in bringing that to every aspect of your life. And that obedience can come only through love. That has a negative connection. What's the negative aspect to this? Romans, listen to Romans 13 and verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. If you love one another, you will fulfill God's moral obligations to that person. Listen. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now listen to the negative way to say this. Love works no ill, no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love someone, you will not harm them. And therefore, Paul says, love fulfills the law. Now stop for a minute. How is it that you increasing and overflowing in love will establish your heart in true holiness? Because love is what is required for you to obey what God wants you to do on a practical day-to-day -day level. Love towards your neighbor. There's not only the negative aspect, there's the positive aspect. Do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Love has both a negative and a positive dimension. The negative dimension is, I will not do anything that will hurt you. The positive dimension is, I will do everything that I would want you to do to me. I will not do anything that hurts you. That is the fulfilling of the law. I will do everything that I would want you to do to me. That's the fulfilling of the law, too. How are our hearts going to be established blamelessly in holiness? when we walk in love and therefore fulfill what God has called us to do. And here's the point that I want to get to here, is that this is a specific practice in the way we live. There is a specific way you live that will either be an outflow of love or a clogged channel of love. Let me give you an example. 
Do you want to be holy in the way you speak? In the way you talk? I hope so. How many of us recognize and say, God, I always blow it when I talk. I am prone to gossip. I am prone to losing my temper. I am prone to being irritable in my speech. I'm prone to blowing up. I'm prone to saying, snapping off and saying things. I'm prone to trying to be funny and end up being dirty and coarse. God, my speech is a problem. Do you want to be holy in that? Well, listen to how love plays in. Listen to Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Do you know there's a negative aspect and a positive one? What's the negative one? I would never, I love you, and therefore I would never want to do something that would bring you down. I would never want to unload gossip on you that would only be like poison in your soul. I would never want to injure your view of some other person, I'm not going to pass along that bad report. I, ne I would never want to, to, to lob a hand grenade of a dirty joke into your memory and into your recollection. I would not do that to you. So no corrupt communication will proceed out of your mouth. That's the negative side. Love works no ill to your neighbor. But what's the positive side? I want to build you up. I want to minister grace to you. So instead of corrupt communication, it's going to be clean and pure and edifying communication. I'm always going to be looking for ways to build my kids up, to praise them, to let them know my joy and love and affection for them. My spouse, instead of tearing my spouse down and criticizing and always telling them what they're not doing, I want to be building my spouse up and encouraging them and helping them in their walk with God. Where are we on that? What is it? It's love. It's love. It's whether I'm growing and overflowing in my love for the people that God has in my life. And if I am, I'm going to be able to be established in the holiness of my speech. Let me take another practical example. Do you want to be holy in the way of your moral purity? Whether you're a man or a woman, in what you look at, in what you think about, in what you do with your actions? Do you know what you'll need? Love. Love. Do you know Paul brings that same idea out only one chapter later? Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, your holiness, that ye should abstain from fornication, that, no man, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That you, in your relationships with others, even entering into marriage with someone, that you would possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Look at verse 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. And verse 7 says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Do you know what the outflow of love is in the way you relate to moral purity? Is whether you are able to see them as a brother or sister that you would never think of defrauding. You would never think of taking something from that person that is not yours to take. You see? Paul has the same idea for Timothy. In 1 Timothy, uh, I think it's chapter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. Do, you, do we want to be pure in the way we relate, in what we look at, in what we think about? Do you know what he's saying? Why is he saying that it is so essential for Timothy to look at the younger women as sisters? Because in every culture, sisters are off limits. The love, the family love and bonds that we have are to prevent any kind of taking advantage or defrauding. Does it happen? Of course, in these awful circumstances. But in, in the way in which we think of family members, God has placed naturally in us a kind of off-limits. And in the same way, Paul is telling Timothy, when you think about a younger woman in the love in the pure love as a sister, do you know what that does? It is able to allow us to say, it's completely off limits. Love is the fulfilling of the law of moral purity. And I will say to those who are being challenged, being tempted in the area of moral impurity in the gutter filth that is prevalent in our online world today, I would just say, if you were to consider what those women are going through, what the danger of their mortal soul in what they are partaking in, in internet pornography and other things, if you truly were allowed that weight to sink on your heart, to sit on your mind, I don't know that you would be able to go to that and take any pleasure in it. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is what enables my moral purity wherever I am. And friends, you could go down the list in the way we work, in the way we glorify God by how we use our finances. Ephesians 4, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Why? That he may have to give to him that needs. Why should I avoid the negative side of stealing? Because I don't want to harm my neighbor. I don't want to steal anything that's his. I don't want to take from him. Why also? Because I want to work hard so I can give to him. So I can give to those who are in need. You see, what is it? It's love. And if we want to be established in holiness that pleases God, I have to grow in love. I have to have that kind of overflowing love that enables me to resist my own selfishness and live out the calling of God to reflect his character in everything that I do. Love and holiness. It's the capstone of what God calls us to do. Love, both in its negative side, don't harm your neighbor, and in its positive side, bless your neighbor, minister grace to your neighbor, is the fulfilling of God's moral obligation. And therefore... That increase in love will establish our hearts in holiness. One more thing. Not only do we see this connection as an outflow of a divine character, not only do we see it as an obedience to a divine command, but thirdly, we see its origin in a divine commitment. Its origin in a divine commitment. Remember, we covered this idea in Hebrews chapter 12. God says in Hebrews chapter 12 that, that he disciplines every single child who he receives. He doesn't punish his children. 
He disciplines them. He corrects them. He chastens them. And why does he do that? Listen to what, again, what Scripture tells us. For our earthly fathers, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, however they thought best. But he, but God, chastens us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. If you're a Christian here today, God is eternally committed to your holiness. And that's why he disciplines you. And that's why he chastens you. And that's why he brings difficulty into your life. Because he is completely focused on making you holy. And I want you to see that this passage says the same thing. Will you notice with me again 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? Look at verse 12. This is Paul's prayer. Who's the subject of this first sentence of verse number 12? Let's go back to our English. Who's the subject? And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. Who? The Lord. Who is responsible for you increasing and abounding in love? He is. Why? Because that's exactly what he's committed to work out in your life. That's why he brings difficulty into your life, so that you'll grow and abound in love. That's why he brings challenges and tests and trials into your life, so that your holiness would be established in love. God is the source. Listen to only one chapter later in chapter 4 and verse 9. Here's Paul says, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. God is the one who teaches you. God is the one who enables you. God is the one who makes you to increase and abound in love. Secondly, who's the actor? Who's the subject? God. Who's the actor? God, the Lord, make you to increase and abound in love toward one another. In other words, this isn't something that God is doing bypassing your participation. It's not like we kick our feet up on the couch and we say, okay, God, I'm ready for you to love through me. Who's the one who God is saying, you love? He's telling me. Who's the subject? God makes, God enables, God allows, God empowers. And he says, you do it. I'm calling you to abound and increase in love. We, we can't separate those two aspects of what holiness looks like. All the power is from him. All the divine nature and character is from him. And yet all the participation and cooperation needs to be with us. He's calling us to be his hands and feet in Love. Now notice one other thing. Notice what he says. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Kids, I've got a question for you. I think you'll be able to get this one. I want you to imagine if you have a cup of something in it, milk, water, pop, and it's not a clear cup. It's a, it's a solid cup. It's a color cup, so it's, got, it's a blue color or something. You can't see through it. And I want you to imagine that you start pouring water or pop or milk or juice into the cup. When do you know when the cup is full? Does anyone know? How do you know when the cup is full? What happens to it? Yes. Lars, it overflows. 
a little assistance from joy there, but that's not a problem. It overflows. Do you know this is the picture here? God is saying, I want you, your cup, to increase in love toward Christians and everybody. And I want you to do it until it overflows. It just You are just continually overflowing and overflowing and overflowing in your love toward one another and toward all men. Here's the point of this. The Thessalonians already loved people. Paul has already been praising them. I just look with me for a moment at chapter 1. Notice what Paul says in verse 3. Actually, go back to verse 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. Paul said, we thank God because your love is already working. It's already serving. It's already meeting needs. In fact, notice, go, go now to chapter 4 and verse 10. Notice what Paul says now. He's, he's saying, ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it. You do love one another toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. Not just in their narrow city. You're loving everyone in the whole region, Paul is saying. And now look what he says. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. What's my point? My point is that you can never increase too much in love. I was just telling someone recently what a blessing it is to be at this church and to see how much you abound in love and you overflow. You overflow to our community. You overflow to one another. And I'm grateful for that. And then I look at the Thessalonians who also were an example to everyone by their love. And Paul says, but you're not there yet. Keep increasing. Keep overflowing. Keep allowing your cup to be, to, to be pouring over with the love of God. Keep on going. In other words, never be complacent. Never think, you know, I think I'm a pretty loving person. I think I'm there. No. Recognize that God's desire to establish you in holiness is that your love is greater tomorrow than it was today. And it will be greater next Sunday than it was this Sunday. And it will continue on as, as long as you are in Christ. Your love is going to keep increasing and keep increasing and keep overflowing its bounds. Paul says, to that end, so that your heart will be established in holiness. Let me just close it right here. What does God want to do in your life this week so that your love will increase and abound, overflow? What does God want to do in your marriage this week that your love for your spouse will increase and overflow and keep on doing? What does God need to do in your parenting so that your love for your children will increase and overflow more and more this week? What does God need to do in your life so that your love for your coworkers and their eternal salvation will increase and abound more this week than it did last week? Do you want to be holy? 
do we want to be holy as a church? There's a way it's going to happen. It's when your love and my love increases and abounds, both for one another and for everyone that we come into contact with. And that means tonight, I will ask you as I ask myself, do you want to be holy? And are you going to, with the Apostle Paul, plead with God to make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men so that he may establish your heart unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints.